Without a ball, it's just a court. And without your spirit, it's only a game. So, together with the fans, we bring our best. For your next pregame, let's share a twist on a classic. The Hennessy Margarita. A squeeze of fresh lime juice and a bit of agave syrup. Topped off with ice and a salted rim. Mix it, shake it, pour it. And enjoy the spirit of the NBA. Hennessy. Without your spirit, it's only a game. 21 and older, please drink responsibly. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Good morning, good morning. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Welcome back. Another episode of Point Forward. We got a... uh, Interesting news, things that happened this past week. Speaking on my former teammate, the Warriors. And what that means for the Warriors' playoff odds. He only got five, suspended five games. I mean, he's suspended for five games, and the Warriors are coming off like a pretty big losing streak. I mean, damn, that's a lot this season. Warriors, you got to damn near be perfect. Just seeing Rudy Gobert and thinking of protecting Clay, that, that man's about to burn down all the same. Rudy friend. Gobert wasn't even about to do nothing. Look, man, what do you want me to say? Let's get, let's get into it. We're going to talk about it. Make sure you follow and subscribe on all platforms at Point Forward. So, Dre, Mr. Executive Director of one of the most powerful unions in the world, I seen this past week that one of your old buddies, teammates, you were his confidant, kind of added some more work to you, put some more work (laughs) on your desk with some of his actions, right? No, I mean, it depends on how you look at it. Yeah. Well, Well, what are we talking about? Let me make sure we're talking about the same thing. We're talking about the Honorable Draymond Green doing a rear naked choke to our French buddy Rudy Gobert. You know, I think it was, you know what, this is how yeah. I interpret it, okay, because, you know, what are sports? You know, it's community, mm-hmm. you know, everybody coming in, excited about their fan base. It's like factions, and, you know, it's it's funny because some of the the interaction with our fan base, fan bases in the vi- visiting team and the home team fans, it can get rowdy. Yeah, for sure. Right, like really rowdy. Absolutely. But they want perfect decorum on the court. Yeah. You know, and so. And there's women there flicking Brian off and calling them (laughs) bitches and everything. (laughs) Like, it's that hostile. I mean, sports does that to you. Right, right. But uh, it's a level of competition. And it could get heated and emotional. Yeah. And so when you look at, you know, like slow motion you know, highlight reels or uh, introduction video. Remember, it used to be NBA on NBC, or it's like your, you know, Monday Night Football. The music that comes yeah. into the I mean, intro like, of the game, and like a Ray Lewis, like correct. Like and, motivational and when you're speech making, you going. Yeah. right. And when you're watching Hard Knocks, yeah. you're watching any of those documentaries. The Last Dance. Yeah. It was like they said MJ was a tyrant, and remember he was. Yeah. 
and he was like this, like you see like a real emotion. I think yeah. that's what the fans, they feel that. Yeah. And yes, there is a fine line. You can cross that line sometimes. But we talk about football sometimes, even hockey, some of these very physical sports. It's like that line is like you're towing that line. I yeah, mean, you got sure. it. It's a habitual line stepping. Yeah. The majority of the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is what it calls for. And not to say that's what it was in this moment, but, yes, a line was crossed, but sometimes that's the nature. And I think with our sport and how visible it has become and becoming one of the more progressing leagues in terms of our fan interaction, especially on social media, like, we use those platforms better than any other league. And so we're so visible that, you know, they're making, they'll make highlight tapes over a guy when a certain female's in the audience. Yeah. Like, oh, she's here. Yeah, this Ruby guy's Rose. gonna, yeah, this yeah, guy's yeah. gonna have a good game. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like uh, Emmanuel quickly. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Who we had a dope conversation yeah, with amazing. in Spain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and we were talking about, you know, Ice Spice was at the game. And he had one of his best games. And I didn't even know who Ice Spice was. That's yeah. that's how I learned about Ice Spice. It was like this girl's at the game, and so yeah. all these young players are playing yeah. well. I'm like, what? This is what. The conversations yeah. we're starting to have. And so there's like a magnifying, there's a micro, we're under a microscope in terms of all of our actions. Like they yeah. watch everything. They watch what we wear to the game. You know, they watch what we're doing off the court. They watch him like what we do for fun. Like we, they know where that guy is. Oh, he's over at that club. Or this guy's like, I can yeah. do this. You know, like they know everything about our lives. And so I'm not making any excuses. Like, you know, right and right is wrong and wrong. And when you have wrong, you know, there's disciplinary actions, but it it wasn't no one no one's life was in danger. Correct. You know, but it looked really bad. And I'm gonna go to this in terms of JaVel McGee and like where Shaq and the Food came from. JaVel's so tall yeah. and so gangly that his body movements it looks it looks different. Yeah. And so there's a comedic relief to us seeing someone his stature doing some of the things he does. So when he falls, it's different watching him fall yeah, versus yeah, yeah. somebody else fall. Like it's just, it looks different because yeah. we're not used to seeing it. And so when we see Rudy go from half court to the bench in a manner that he did, I'm not trying to be funny, but no, it, was, it was funny though. No, but, but then you correlated to a time when <laughs> that looked super wild because Rudy it's a fight or flight thing. He didn't fight back. He looked like he just got victimized. <laughs> now you look at Carl Anthony Towns, or you look at uh, when Joel and B got into it. They got three and two games apiece, and Ben Simmons even got like a game all because it looked like somebody wasn't getting manhandled, and you legit kept your footing. Mm -hmm. I felt like Rudy made it look a hundred times worse. Right. And then the victimization of it was just like, come on, my guy. Like, right, right, right. How about right. you fight back and it'll be okay? <laughs> like, it looked like everybody told me, why would, he why would he do that to him? Like, the biggest man on a court? I'm the, no, no, no. There's no place for it. Don't let me get that No, I'm, I, I don't even think it was, it wasn't that bad. Like, no one was really in danger. My point exactly and at all. It was like pushing something and it's like jostling for position. It was more of that. Like, we knew no one was going to really get hurt. Yeah. But the optics of it and so many eyeballs on our game and then, you know, the narratives we paint on certain people. Yeah. You know, but I, there needed to be discipline handed 
accordingly across the board. Yes. And I think it was. I think the NBA is always conscious of like how our game is presented. And that is the business part. And that's what enables our game to grow. That's what enables our game to be translated to the fans. And so everyone but, everyone played their role in this. And I think um, here's a tough thing, though. And, and this is where I'll leave it on. The tough thing is, you know, we want our game to be followed so much. And there's a, do- there's a downside to yeah. that. There's a downside to yeah. that. And so something small will get blown out of proportion on both sides. Like, yeah. we'll make a spin-move dunk the greatest play of all time. And it was like, uh, you know, like, we've seen that before. Hmm. But it's, it's glorified, like, to it's magnified, I would say. But then on the opposite end, like, something small. Like, back in the day. Or even say, you can say this right now. The hockey, they hire people to protect Ovechkin. Yeah. They hire people to protect Sidney Crosby. If anybody bothers them, they get into a fight for them and call it a day. Like somebody going home, sleep. Going home, sleep. At the end of the day, your main man or one of your main guys are perfectly fine and call it a day. Right. Like, that's just boys being boys. But there's, but the revenues are a lot different over no, there no. than they are all over here. So I mean, what about baseball then? You can oh, get yeah. you a whole <laughs> shit, throw a hundred, throw something at hundred miles per hour at somebody, and then bring the homies out. To, it'd be hundred and fifty dudes fighting. <laughs> this is true. So I'm not, I'm not. I understand discipline and like the money and everything mm-hmm. has to like matter. I just think we talk about that, but then you cross over into there's there's public decorum and then there's locker room decorum, and we both go back. Even look at when Larry Bird got into a Dr. J. Mm-hmm. The one thing that made him the most mad was, like, he was out there fighting by himself. Oh, yeah. yeah. He's sitting there, like, so where's everybody at? Yeah. We together all the time. Mm-hmm. We've been through all this. Like, I mean, we, we played 300 games. A, a two, you can't take a two-game suspension for protecting my my situation. And that's where I'm coming from. It's like a right. brotherhood, right. the history of it, and when I wasn't mad at Draymond because it's like, and that's him and Clay are like like this. Mm-hmm, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm, you you mm-hmm. call it a day. The only downside that could be is if Draymond went through all that in 20 years down the line, Gobert and Clay are just kicking it. <laughs> Draymond still got some beef. Like, you know what I mean? That would be the worst. That would be the worst thing. But that's how it plays out. And you'd be like, bro, I just took a $2 million hit for you. Are you friends with this? <laughs> but when disciplinary actions occur and you're a new you know, executive director of the union, what goes into those type of, you know, situations? Like, you're one of the first people to get a phone call. Like, how does that yeah. work itself out? What's the – it's your first time really being in that position, and Draymond welcomed you well. <laughs> well, it's, they don't call me per se, but, yeah. you know, we have all the, the, the folks in place mm-hmm. where there's player engagement, you know, the great Christian Chin, who's always getting the calls first. Yeah. And then we got a legal team, you know, uh, Ron Klimpner and David Foster. We got a pretty strong team, and so – we're assessing the situation just like the league is in real time. And so it's like a lawyer. Yeah. And so when you know, an infraction occurs either in life or at work, you know, workers want to come down with their, you know, what they deem as the right disciplinary actions. And then we're just trying to make sure that there's a fairness to it. Was there ever a time where you, uh, where a teammate got into a scuffle and you wish you had done more to help? Uh, me? No. I got a question for you. It's funny. I got a funny. I'm going to tell the time one. where I felt bad. <laughs> I got one for you. Yeah. So um, I'm talking to my man, uh, Two Live. Yeah. yeah Tom Two Live. Yeah, what up, Two Live? And so he's 
he's he's mad at me saying how I let Draymond get five games. <laughs> I, said, I wasn't playing the night that yeah. it happened, so I don't know yeah. if I let anything happen. Yeah. And and so trying to explain to him, you know, kind of what could possibly be the thought process behind, you know, what occurred. And he's like, you know, he's sticking up for his teammates. And he was like, you know, you can't grab. If you're on one team, don't grab somebody else from another team. Yeah. Grab your own people. Yeah. And I reiterate, I had to remind him, well, no, wait. It was OKC versus Philly and Philly. And KD and Evan right, kind of yeah. got tangled up. And I grabbed Evan and pulled him away. And Evan was like, don't ever pull me away. You grab him. So just in case I can hit him. Did I do that right or wrong? Because no, you, you said Rudy, you like, said Rudy can't grab Clay, but then Evan said I can't grab my teammate Evan. And so which one is it? You we supposed to be in down on bodies, <laughs> like period. <laughs> Point blank. Like, you know what I mean? Like that's it, like don't touch me at all. Like push him too. Like at least you can do. Like, you know what I mean? But I remember a situation happened to a teammate. Like, I'm always usually there for teammates, but I don't know if I saw it or not, but maybe I was shocked when J.R. Smith backhanded Jay Crowder. Oh, yeah. And he almost tore his ACL. <laughs> yeah. I just remember being there and being like, what just happened? <laughs> like, like, you know what I mean? Right. And sitting there and being like, oh, my gosh. Like, you just really clear, my man. It's like, sweet. But they turned out to be friends, so I'm glad. You know what I mean? So then, like, moving forward with Draymond being out, is Steph still out? Is he still? Steph just played against OKC. That's yeah. when Shea. Yeah, yeah, just went crazy. Uh, Shea, this is what's going to be interesting. Shea, who I posted a comment underneath his IG, this might be my favorite player, my new favorite player, like all the young cats. Um, he posted, um, I felt like E-40 in the Bay because I was going dumb. Yeah. And he had all his clips. Yeah. And I love the competitive spirit, but he just might have woke up a sleeping giant. And so I'm interested to see like the next five games for the Warriors. Yeah. I'm just I'm gonna pay close attention to that. No, I definitely want to pay close attention. You know, it's just tough to start the season falling behind. You know what I mean? Well, they started out the gate quick. Like, yeah. like five and one, yeah, six and yeah. one, and then now yeah. they lost like six straight. Clay's yeah. not shooting the best, yeah. and it's coming in between in the middle of like a Draymond. Right, but Wiggs had just had a thirty piece. Yeah, he, and they he, Wiggs woke up. Clay always takes. The first three weeks of the season. Yeah, Clay is always. Going, you know, yeah. he gets off the slow start, so it's getting blown out of proportion, and then um. Yeah, CP's playing well. CP's holding them together. Um, and Draymond's been playing well. Draymond was playing well going to that. You know, he yeah. was 15, 18 points a game. Like, he was he was scoring the ball. And so uh, they got a good team. It's just, it's got to click. Yeah. It's got to click. And so we'll see. So after the suspension, the six-game losing streak, and some of the tough, like, shooting woes from Klay Thompson, what does this mean for the Warriors' playoff eyes? Are you nervous about them making it? Is this something they should worry about, or is this just a regular, just rough slump to start? The Warriors started off at minus 475 to start the season. At one point, improved to minus 800. Now they're back to hovering around where they started at, minus 425. Yeah. I think they get in. Um, they have a really good team. They just got to – they'll go through – streaks. Yeah. Um, it's little, like, like I said before, early in the year when we were talking about odds, yeah, I yeah. said they could be a team that wins the championship or they could be a team that misses a playoff. I think I said that on first take. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said they'll have crazy swings on both sides. Like they'll look scary and then they'll look vulnerable. And so if they can get some their groove, their rhythm, I think they'll be fine. 
like I, I know for sure Clay will find his rhythm. Clay will find his rhythm. Uh, as long as Wiggs is doing what he does, yeah. um, they'll be fine. Steph is going to be Steph. Uh, Kaminga's had good stretches. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting, though, because they have a lot of depth. And it's... The kid, Brandon, uh, what's it? Brandon, the rookie. The rookie, the young kid from Santa Clara. Yeah, he's supposed to be, like, in the top 10 right now for, like, rookies, like, efficiency rating and all that. Correct. And then uh, PB, not PBJ, uh, Tracy the big Jackson kid from Indiana. Davis is also the up there from as Indiana. well. Yeah, right. So. When you think about it, you do wonder, because you know how... You know exactly how many reps you're gonna get night yeah. in, night out. Yeah. But you, if you if you have a team that has too much depth, and you know you're switching who finishes the game every yeah. night, and ten players is too many sometimes. Yeah. Right. Depends on your group. Yeah. Like the Spurs, they always had ten guys, yeah. and everyone knew their roles, and it was interchangeable, and it was like you, you can lean into that. Yeah. But you got guys going for contracts. You got guys who are entering into the third years who are trying to prove themselves to young guys. You got yeah. a rookie who's trying to prove themselves, trying to get on the court. You know, you got all those things going on. You know, CP's in the last year of his contract as well. You know, he's you know he doesn't have to prove anything, but you're still trying to prove things. You know, you might a guy like Clay's in, yeah. in, in his contract year as well, you know, didn't get his extension. And we all know how mentally fatiguing that can be, regardless if you're thinking about it or not. Yeah. I'm not saying he is. Every like We're all human. That's a part of it. You yeah. know? And then like, you mix in that, the pressure of making the playoffs, and then like the playing game, which is his own pressure within yep. itself. And, you know, they've entered numerous playoff games, and it hasn't uh, – the start hasn't been the best situation to, to ask for. You, you know look I mean? at the West. Yeah. I was surprised when so, I saw Dallas was two in the West. I'm like, oh, Dallas, Dallas was second in the West. Houston was – Sixth in the West. Dylan Brooks, baby. OKC is playing very well. Bro, OKC, is a, they got four, like, playmakers at all time, bro. That's a joke. Like, right. you know, you can't even find NBA teams now with four playmakers. You only find right. two of them. Right. Like, right. I mean, the, the Lakers are low on, on in, in the West. Yeah. Uh, Phoenix is low in the West. Yeah. The Warriors are low in the West. Yeah. And so you just, we've said this before, like, this year in the league, it's felt like one of those years where, it feels like a football year yeah. where anybody can win. And I think you see it's reflective in the viewership. Like, numbers are up crazy in attendance, yeah. viewership, in-season tournament. looks like it's working besides, you know, seeing an all-red court and you, you get a little dizzy. But other than that, yeah. like, it's, it's looking like anybody can win. That's real. I want to ask you a quick question. I wish we had the eyes on this because it, it's, it's relevant right now. But our young boy, Jordan Poole. Mm-hmm. What do you think, uh, you're talking about the season, how how it's been going. What do you think the odds of him really getting traded? Do you think there's something going on? And if he did get traded to, like, uh, Miami Heat, how would that raise their their chances of, of elevating and, you know, having a championship year like they always, you know, assume and, and wish for? Yeah, well, it's hard to go from a championship team to a team that's just used to losing. And yeah. that culture of it. And yeah. I, we've had those conversations all summer. Are you ready for what you're about to take on? And it's like the ultimate level of maturity in terms of, like, how do you respond to losing every single night? Or how is it to respond to that spotlight on you when you're losing every single night? Right. Like, we played in Philly. And we played hard. And, and, and we, you know, we maxed our potential. Yeah, and I had teammates used to be like, shit, we ain't got to really trip on a loss. They're going to be on his ass. You know what I mean? It's like, I mean, it ain't that bad because they all going to blame Andre. When I, when you left, it's like everybody worry about Evan. 
So, like, whatever's going on right now, everything is going to go on his back. And, I, and you're absolutely right. It's a different game with pressure, worrying about yourself, and yeah. then having to carry a whole franchise. And, I mean, they're watching a the dude during timeouts and, like, every little thing he's doing it to – I mean, it's a different level. I mean, that's why you got to appreciate the guys like Steph Curry. Right, right. You know, even like the Dame Lillard, the people that can carry it, you know, on their back paws mm-hmm. and like with mm-hmm. no pressure and literally had a resilience to take on this of what comes with being a franchise too because mm-hmm. you're constantly nitpicked whenever you have a bad moment. And it's uh, this new era of youth where they just have these waves. You talk about yeah. a, a lot, yeah, yeah. you know, having that wave. Yeah. Like he's just a wavy dude. Yeah. Like, Kuz has a wave to him. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And But Kuz got it at one point. Whenever the Lakers lost, it was Kuz's fault. Yeah, for sure. You're right. You know? Yeah. And, and he kept developing, too. He's, he, Kuz's a hell of a player right now. And you yeah. just... So the thing with JP is you got to keep working. The only way to get out of the position that he's in or they, they're in, you just got to keep working. Yeah. That's all you can do. Yeah. Like, I don't care if you... Average eight points for the next month. You, as long as you keep working, it, you'll eventually get to where you need to be. It's just you have to go through that experience to get out on the other side. Like you can't drown in it, you can't soak in it. You just embrace it. Like, all right, what's next? Next game, next game. And I used to remember you, Lou Dang. He this always stuck with me. He said that's the beauty of the NBA. You have a bad night, you got a game either tomorrow or the day after that. So I'm just looking to get right back at yeah. it. So you just got to take that approach. And then what makes it bad is uh, I remember Jay Laranega, our guy Jay Laranega was like, when he's talking to me in Boston, he's like, man, you struggle a little bit, but to be honest with you, people only remember the last 20 games. And he's like, you could turn up from there. Yep. And, like, this is a coach telling me. I'm like, what? He's like, I'm telling you. He's like, it sounds weird, but, like, it's a lot of games. People are only going to remember the last 20 games. And our boy Solomon Hill got paid $55 million off eight days' worth of work. In the no, playoff I got series, one for you. You know what I mean? Tyler Calvin J- Booth. Tyler Johnson. Shout out to Calvin Booth. Yeah. And he was in Seattle. He played well against Tim Duncan in the series they lost. Oh, I think I remember hearing the story. Jerome James? Yes, yes, yes. Jerome yeah. James. That Who was, remembers that name? I, my man Isaiah Thomas gave him the deal, right? Yes. <laughs> he had like three, he had two good games against Tim Duncan in the playoffs and they lost and got paid. I remember that, bro. I, I remember that. I remember that story. Tim Duncan was that good, <laughs> apparently. And so that's that, like Lavoy Allen having that good. No, Lavoy was good. Don't get it wrong, but he had that good series versus the Celtics. Yep. And they paid him a lot of money, and that basically was his NBA career. It happened. Like you just need it. Like you saying, like give me a good stretch. It's like I see something, I can untap that. Yeah. And Jordan Poole, he's so fun to watch. Mm-hmm. And, you know, how funny it is, much like the Warriors as well, I mean, let them get hot, it's over. You got to wait yeah. till, till they're, deci- they're, they're done cooling off. Yeah. So. This preview was brought to you by none other than DraftKings. Point. Forward. This next interview, um, we shot in Spain, actually. Uh, it was beautiful out there in Malaga, uh, MBPA event. Um, shout out to my man, Mateo Zaretti and the Sanctuary. Was able to sit down with Jalen Brown and Donovan Mitchell talking about the new wave of NBA players and how they plan on taking over the NBA and how it's more than just being basketball players and their influences off the court. And whenever you do, don't forget to subscribe on all channels. Follow us as well at Point. Hennessy and Mitchell and Ness have come together for the ultimate drop, a limited edition collection to celebrate Hennessy's continued partnership with the NBA because some things just go together, like Evan and myself. 
Hey, man, man. Remember when we met back in the day at Tim Grover's attack facility? Mm-hmm. I think it was like 08. I was finishing up my freshman year, and you were about to prepare to get that bag, right? Yes, my extension year. We met in 08. In 2010, we fast-forwarded to be each other's teammates. Mm-hmm. I obviously thought I was better than you. Then the first day of practice, I go baseline. And you, you Brian blocked my shot before that Brian. That was a good block, G. <laughs> bro, I that, remember that. Bro, that was an amazing block. I'm looking like, bro, what just happened back there? And then I'm like thinking something, like talking to my agent. Like, bro, you just said I was better than this <laughs> Look, on the court, you're surrounded by a collection of personalities, egos, and talent. But when the pieces come together, that's when you form a great team. The same thing is true when you mix a great drink. Different ingredients come together for the first time, complementing one another to make something out of this world. And beyond the drinks, this drop with Hennessy and Mitchell and Ness celebrates the intersection of basketball with art, music, and fashion. Elements of culture that represent ways the fans and players pay homage to the game. The exclusive collection will have a limited drop available for both in retail and online. Check out at Hennessy US on Instagram for more information. Hennessy, without your spirit, it's only a game. 21 and older, please drink responsibly. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Four. To our listeners, welcome to Point Forward, the podcast. Myself, Andre Gadala, and my man, Evan Turner. We are here at the MBPA uh, Performance Summit, uh, the Sanctuary in Andalusia. Uh, we're in Spain near... Marbella? No, we're not in Marbella. You're supposed to know where we're at. Malaga. 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 I've been saying Magala. I've been saying Malaga. Mayaga. Mallorca. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Uh, somewhere beautiful. Yes, but there's this beautiful setup uh, where uh, performance and um, mental space, players can travel the world, get a great workout, also seeing amazing, beautiful places, also have great conversations with um, up-and-coming tech companies. We've been talking about uh, data around athletes. Um, it's just been an amazing to see, you know, performance and retreat and how uh, the MBPA is advocating to players to own their summers and what better way to have the conversation with the new faces of the NBA, which I really want to dive into with Donovan Mitchell and Jalen Brown. Uh, thank you for coming on as well. Uh, I know we've been really excited to have conversations. We've been looking for you for forever. Um, and just wanted to, you know, kind of start with, um, you know, why here? Why take the time out your summer to come out here and work out? Um, you know, I think the biggest thing, first of all, you said it, like owning your summer, you know, doing it with the PA. You know, obviously this is my first year on the committee. You know, we just had our meetings in Vegas. Um, not only can I come here and speak, you know, obviously, and, and get to meet new people, you know, connect in a different country, um, but you also, you know, get to spend time with my family, you know, bring them to a beautiful place. This is my f- fifth time in Spain, second time out here. So um, first time with the PA, you know, and I think it's it's something that, 
you know, when we were talking about it, my family, I was like, I couldn't turn this down. You know, this is the opportunity to, you know, obviously us too, um, you guys, you know, I got a bunch of other guys who are here. You know, the facility is, is phenomenal. <laughs> um, I had no idea. You know, you see the pictures when you're back home and whatnot, but to be here, um, you know, I'm planning on making this a yearly trip. Yeah, exactly. Owning your summer, I think that's the key um, to our off season this year. Also, just talking about player expansion, like seeing the world so the world can see you. And you're talking about our brand as a union becoming more global, athletes in itself capitalizing and monetizing off of the global activity going on. All important, like the NBA is expanding their brand, et cetera. We don't always get those decisions and we don't always get those phone calls of how that's hand handled. But here at the sanctuary, we get to control our environment, who we do business with, who we invest with, um, player technology, real estate, um, and anything else that comes with, you know, being able to set up in a, in a place in a whole different part of the world. You guys uh, talked about, you know, obviously you're some of the top basketball players in the world and you're here to, you know, expand your brand and everything. How important is that to you, to be known as more an athlete? I think it should be more normalized. I think it's a, sometimes it's a, a fear attached to being vocal, having political agendas or talking about things that are controversial. But in my opinion, athletes got the most influence in the world. When you're able to, to speak on these certain things, things move, things change. And how the system is set up, a lot of different things, you know, they want to keep the athlete, in a sense, pacified. You know, don't want you to use your voice, don't want you to be political, don't want you to be controversial, don't want you to make statements. Why? Because it's a business and we're here to capitalize off of that business. And it's almost in a sense that we're not smart enough to figure out our own value, right? So as we start to talk about not just these leagues, these talent agencies, these media companies, these record labels, they all are built off the influence of us, mm -hmm. right, globally. And the more we understand how to make decisions and understand our value and, and speak on certain things, the more we'll be able to control our own narrative. Yeah. You know, I think, you know, we'll start like with, with us to a starting really for it's, you look at how young the voices have gotten. You know, I think the COVID year really showed me a lot more. You know, I always spoke on things, but I think when we went down to the bubble, mm -hmm. um, and it just, people talk about the bubble to this day, about how much, like how much our game during that summer, and obviously all sports, but especially the NBA, like how much that impacted their time, you know? And that for me was like, wow, like we really made an impact as far as just being vocal, being global. And what we did, you know, opening the arenas for, for people to come in and vote, like that was huge. That was something we had never thought about until that moment we all sat in a room and we talked about it. And that right there, you know, changed the dynamic of, you know, the election, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And, right. you know, for us, that that showed me more than anything. I'd always known we had a voice, but that for me really showed. And I think, you know, you look at, you know, and I give a credit to our to our young people, and that's why I, I spend a lot of time talking to young people. It's like they're not afraid to speak on things, you know what I mean, and learning and educating themselves. And that's not always been the case, you know, but I think it's 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 crucial, you know, to go out there and not just be an athlete, be a basketball player. We have this more to us. We're actually, we're humans. We you know we... We do different things. We're just like everybody else in this room. The only difference is we probably shoot at a higher clip from the field than right. most people in this room. But, um, like, you know, for me, it's just like, man, like, you know, we have so much we can do, you know, as, as athletes on this pedestal that we're given. Uh, so why not use it? So I got a question that fits both of you perfectly. And so, you know, you used to play for the Utah Jazz and, you know, you're in a so the city like Utah, Salt Lake City. Um, and you play in a city like Boston, mm -hmm. very similar uh, demographics. And 
we always try to express ourselves as athletes from our vantage point, and it's always misconstrued. And, you know, you talk about athletes owning their own voice now. And so coming from a city like Salt Lake City, now you're in Cleveland, and you've spoken from your vantage point of what it's like to be African-American, and you've spoke up many a times, and you've taken some hits speaking as African-American in the city of Boston. And as the faces, not only the franchises, but the NBA, you know, is it difficult or just walk us through, you know, how you try to express yourselves on, you know, racial issues or just race in general, especially in America, um, with understanding that you're going to get some blowback or you're going to have to, you know, take some some heat, but you still have to be true to yourself. So how do you go about that? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think, you know, my biggest thing was always, you know, if I wasn't Donovan Mitchell, would, would like, you know, mm. That's the biggest thing. If I wasn't Donovan Mitchell, you know, I talked about in a story I did before I left was I got pulled over by a cop, giving a hard time, um, talking about my windows, talking about whatever, until I gave my ID, the whole demeanor changed. You know what I mean? There's instances when I was out there, and like you said, there's the majority of a, a, a Caucasian state, you know what I mean? Not many African-American, maybe one, two percent. And there's kids getting bullied, uh, black kids getting bullied. There's a black girl who killed herself because she was getting bullied. Um, and I spoke on those things. I spoke on what I've seen, what I've heard, you know, because at the end of the day, you know, I'm a black man, you know, more than before anything else, before the basketball, before anything else. And, you know, I think that for me was my biggest thing was just speaking on what I saw and speaking on ways like this isn't right, you know, and I really didn't care about the blowback, you know, to be honest, because it was like I felt no matter what happens, I don't have to play basketball day in my life. I'm speaking up for people who really don't necessarily get to be able to be on a podcast with you and have the same voice and be able to talk in front of these people, you know what I'm saying? So, you know, I'm giving people who don't feel like they have a voice a voice. And, you know, the one thing that I always say, um, and I tell people this, and it, it kept me going, was the amount of people that always tell me when I see them, like, thank you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, thank you for speaking on certain things. You know what I mean? No matter how many times, because it gets hard. And he'll tell you, like, it feels like you're on an island at times. Because not everybody wants to speak on it. And, you know, and it's not for everybody. It's not everybody's, you know, and everybody's, you know, brain to do that. You know, and I understand that and I respect that. But in the same token, it's, it's hard. You know, especially when you got to go play 82 games and be that guy every night. Right. You know what I'm saying? So um, that's one thing that always kept me going. You have people you've never met, don't want a picture, don't want an autograph, just want to say thank you. I agree. To, to add to what, um, what's your name? Uh, Donovan. <laughs> <laughs> to add to what Donovan said, uh, like just because you escaped the barriers that society has put up doesn't mean you're going to forget about the people who didn't. Like we had a lot of opportunities, all of us, a lot of things go right mm -hmm. for us to get to the position that we're in. Mm -hmm. And it's a lot of people in America who look just like us who won't get those same opportunities just because of how the system is set up. Um, two, I would add, is that there's like this social norm in athletes in, in these spaces is that like when you accept a certain amount of money, it comes with like defamation of character. It comes with you know, people talking crazy to you, can be disrespectful. And as through media, through fans, and it's like almost like it's normalized right. for like you making millions of dollars, like, like you'll be all right. Yeah. And that, that doesn't go to say that's everybody's perspective. Right. You know, I met a lot of great people in my community and the places I live now, but it's still that social narrative throughout the media, throughout the fan base that still exists. It's like, you know, we don't really care how you feel. It's almost like we don't really care that you're a human being. It's like, what are you doing for us? And, I, and what are you producing? What can you do for me lately? Type of mentality. Yep. And I, and I, 
Totally agree. And it's just so refreshing to hear two young African-American athletes speak on this because you said it. It's a social norm, a social narrative. And we say these things and it's always that one line taken from it. And it's thrown at our fan base as if, well, you don't like Utah and you don't like Boston. And it's like, no, you know, we have an influence. We want our fan bases to understand who we are as athletes and we're not attacking the city or our athletes, but we're just letting, bringing an awareness to what's really going on. And, you know, that's, you know, one of my favorite books is um, Prisoners of Geography. If anyone gets the opportunity to read that, and uh, I need to cut off that too. Yeah, and, and it's, to add to that, it's just being a voice for the voiceless. It's not just the NBA, it's in corporate America as well. Mm-hmm. It's a bunch of people who are working, making a living for their family, existing in spaces, not just in America, but all around the world that kind of feel that same, you know, um, I want to say oppression in a sense. And like the, our ethics, our moralities, and all those type of things needs, I hate, I hate the phrase like, this is game that you got to play. Everybody uses that term, yeah. like, play the game. Mm-hmm. And I, I hear people come up to me and say that all the time, family members from the past, you know, it's 2023, I don't want to play the game no more. Change the game. I want to change the game. Yeah. But what comes with playing the game is almost a, a, a subtle conformity in a sense where you got to talk a certain way, act a certain way in corporate spaces, you know, be a certain way instead of being yourself, mm-hmm. yeah. right? And then as an athlete, in this generation, you see so much more athletes, more comfortable breaking out of them, you know, than paradigms that's been constructed for you to look like and for you to be. And you could be professional and still be yourself at the same time. Don't go with the flow, be the flow. That's one of my favorite Jay-Z lines. That's right. <laughs> so that's oh. hard. You know, you stumped me. I, I low-key was going to ask a question, too. But, uh, <laughs> I want to know, you guys both enter Utah. You both enter, uh, you know, obviously Boston. There's some cons of it we speak on, like, some of the injustices, but what were some of, like, the pros that kind of shocked you when you came into Salt Lake City or into, uh, you know, historically racist place like Boston? What mm. What's something that can humanize it that usually doesn't get, you know, uh, commented on? Not saying to show empathy, but at the same time, I also like to show two mm. sides because, yeah. you know, we say so much and we don't want to get it drowned out, but there's 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 greatness in every place. So we're, what's the goodness that you found from there? Yeah, you know, I think <clears throat> you spoke on that. Like, I spoke a lot about the, the racial issues out there, but, like, they... They took a kid in, like myself, who didn't expect to make the NBA, drafted, didn't expect to start. Now I don't know where I'm starting. Gave you Gordon gave, Hayward, like, Rock. You know, <laughs> like, yeah. um, and just gave me an opportunity to grow and, and play the game. And, you know, I didn't play in a major, you know, a major city. But for me, it was like, I was like huge there, but they left me like B. You know what I'm saying? Which I always ultimately respect. They allowed, like, they, you really show how much they appreciated you. They would talk to you and whatever, but it wasn't, I can't get out, get to my car. I can't get to my spot. You know what I mean? There's, there's kids every day. I pull up to the arena. There's one kid in particular named Josh who's been there every year. Every time I pull into the arena, he's right there, like, waiting for me to give him, like, a little dap or a hug or whatever. He's always right there. Um, you go out to eat, they show love. Like, the amount of love you get, you know, was, Incredible. And I came from Louisville where it was like we were the only sports team in town. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's kind of similar in that way, but like they also let you be human, you know what I mean? And, and kind of gave you your space. I go to Target, start shopping, you know what I mean, go to the grocery store, like do whatever, like and it was cool. Like, you know what I'm saying? So um not saying I don't get that in, in Cleveland at all, but like, you know, for me, like 
that was one of the things I, I really enjoyed. There's obviously, I don't ski, I don't hike, I don't walk in my free time because I'm pretty tired from my day job. Yeah. But like, there's so much stuff to do there. There's so much, like there's so many great people. As much as I say what I say because it needs to be said, you know, I feel like people take that and lump it in with the whole, the whole state. But there's also like people that like I've met in great relationships I've formed and to this day that I, I ultimately respect. But, um, you know, like I said, they, Quinn Snyder and them, they allowed me to, to, to rock, man. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? I give him a, a lot of credit because they helped me. Him, um, John Bryan. coached us uh, back in Philly. <laughs> really? back. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, you know Quinn. Yeah. Like, you know, he, he allowed me, him and, and like they allowed me just to, he gave me the ball. He didn't have to. You know what I'm saying? He gave me the ball and said, go. Like, you know, point through your mistakes. Um, and ultimately, you know, it's a big part of why I am where I am today. Um, and, you know, I'm extremely thankful for that opportunity. And I'm a huge, huge fan of Ryan Smith. And they call it Silicon Slopes. Yeah. So I've been out there many yeah. times. Deer Valley, I love Deer Valley. I'm actually thinking about getting a second home there. Uh, they got great golf, great skiing. We're, we're contractually not allowed to ski, so I'm 40 years behind on attempting to ski. But, <laughs> yeah, but Jalen, I got a question about Boston in a sense. Uh, not in a competitive sense, but, you know, you and Jason are two of the top young guys. And, you know, when you quote unquote, he's like the golden child. And for the lack of better term, like a dark night in a certain sense. But how do you all, how do you approach it? You know, Jason's kind of, you know, more relaxed, more reserved. And, you know, you kind of, you're going to naturally have certain comparisons, especially when you're complete opposite of outspoken, brash, and, you know, you keep the A's hat on everywhere. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. the race hat on everywhere. How do you approach that? that? Uh, I just made, you know, a lot of promises to myself when I first got to Boston. You know, it was a lot thrown at you. 19-year-old kid, you know, you hear the stigma in Boston as well. So you're unsure about how to feel about everything. Um, and it's like this innate pressure that you feel to be somebody you're not. Like overcompensate, you know, change your, the way you speak, your, your colloquialisms, everything. And I just was like, you know what? I'm not doing that. That's just not about to be me. Like I'm, a, I'm, unapolog- I'm a unapologetically black I'm gonna be who I am from day one to the end. You know, I'm professional and I handle myself accordingly. But for the most part, I'm just gonna just be myself. From and I made that promise to myself that I wasn't gonna change or alter who I was for nobody. And it's worked. And I have, I've had a lot of you know pushback and kickback from a lot of different things. But you know, I knew that would be, you know, that would be a come with the journey. Or whatever, but you know, for me, it's been it's been good days and it's been bad days. But I can look in the mirror and I can be like, you know, I've been myself the entire way. I didn't conform. I didn't tell nobody I, something I didn't truly believe. I didn't smile if something wasn't funny. You know, I didn't talk if I wasn't spoken to. You know what I mean? <laughs> I coached Jalen for one year. I didn't really coach him. I was just there, and he showed up. And I put it, I put it on my, you know, on my my LinkedIn that I was a coach. But he definitely. <laughs> was like that. And, uh, you know, to be here and to be able to, you know, have a relationship with you and open up, it always made it, you know, way easier when uh, you let people in because when it's the other side, he might walk in. I'm like, man, I'll catch him at 4 p.m. <laughs> at 9 p.m., he'll be walking in slow. I'm like, who who pissing your orange shoes? You know what I mean? <laughs> but I feel them when you speak on everything that you're talking on, it's like, what's there to smile about sometimes? It's it's hard, man. Like, it, it really is. And, I, and I, I speak on it from my platform, and I want I don't want to be insensitive because people are like, man, you get paid millions of dollars to do this. 
I don't want to hear it. I got to go to corporate America. I got to go to work and I got to deal with the same things. Like, it's just like to have to be, I don't like, you know, to have to be somebody that I'm not. When I walk in, you feel like this overwhelming, you know, sometimes to be in these spaces because like, you know, a lot of these companies, organizations, corporations, et cetera, you know, it'd be sometimes it's a lack of like honor and nobility that exists within. Or the like, gatekeeping. Well, yeah, like where I'm from, like you walk through the front door. If you want to come to my house, you come through the front door, you shake people's hands, you look people in the eye. Mm-hmm. Like all the back door, let me come through the, the side window, let me come through the, at an angle, trying to find an angle. That's what culture vultures do. And, and yeah. when you break down like the NBA and everything, we're like the most popular sport. Mm-hmm. If you even look at like, not even coaching, it's basketball trainers. Like think about who's trainers now and everything. Everybody wants to jump on because you said when it comes down to it, it's business, it's culture, but like, it makes up for the coolness or the lack thereof. And you see a lot of people in the culture now coming part of the league and throwing on Dior that they never had prior to, or, you know what I mean, hanging out with kids in certain areas that they would have never went to and calling it cool, you know? And, and that's what we're kind of... At right now. You're at right now. We're, we're under uh, attack right now. <laughs> I hate to see that just because yeah. I feel like it's the kids. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's it shows them false like a false like that's not it like you know what i'm saying and i don't think like and i think a lot of us in throughout the league like like Jalen, like Jalen said myself there are a lot of us like we are we care about our future and you got people coming out here on instagram doing this doing that and it's like man, that's not one that's not gonna work <laughs> like two as a move like that speak on it don that's not gonna work and it, it it pisses me off because like i said like i told you like i want to coach in high school one day you know because Ultimately, that's the, in my opinion, that's the most critical time, like yes. right before you go to college. Because yes. once you get to college, it's kind of figured out from there. But that right there, like what you learn at, at the high school level and what's being taught and what's being said is just like, and what's being shown is like, like no, it's really, you don't gotta, like, not everybody's Kyrie. Like, you know what I'm saying? Kyrie's a special human being. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, not everybody's Kyrie with the basketball I'm talking about. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, you don't need to be doing all these different dribble moves, different things. And also, like you said, you don't need to be wearing, Dior at 15. Like, it's cool to just wear sweats and get, get your, can I curse? Yeah. You get your shit and then like, that's it. Like, you know what I'm saying? And when you get to the space where you're wearing that, like, NIL is a little different now, but like, you know what I'm saying? All right, cool. But like, you don't have to do all of that, in my opinion. I feel like the people we, we do a lot because when, when we see it, for sure, at our level, for sure, but I feel like people try to, one, take advantage of the kids in that way, and also, two, um, Take advantage of pros. <laughs> you right. I mean, yeah, to be honest, it's still happening. Yeah, like, seriously, pros. <laughs> it's right? crazy. Ones right now. Like, it's, right now, bro. That's what I'm, I'm not even talking about like, the kids wearing Dior. Get your no, that's what I'm talking about. This. I was just because <laughs> yeah, yeah. I see it through the kids. Because yeah. I, I work out with high school kids a lot throughout the summer just to mm-hmm. kind of tell them what I'm, what I'm basically, what I'm telling you is the same thing. Like, you don't, I didn't do that. And I know, for, I know damn well he didn't do that in high right. school. You know what I'm saying? But like, and then God bless you. Like, and that, that's because of, what he's done to get to this point. Like I said, I've known him since high school and I've seen it, you know what I'm saying? So I feel like a lot of kids now, when I speak to them, they feel like they have to, that's why I speak on the kids. They feel like they have to do all these different things that they see, but you're right. It, it happens at our level too. It happens at the college level. And it, it's one of them things, man. It just really pisses me off. To be honest. <laughs> so considering you two are two, uh, you know, two newer members of the union and we talk about the brand and setting the tone in a way that the athletes should be shaped. We have a lot of, uh, you know, investors and brand individuals here. Which way do you want to go with, uh, you know, the future of the NBA union and what type of brands we partner with and what message that would be? Like, 
We, we made tons of leaps and bounds in the past 10 years because of Andre and Chris Paul and Michelle Roberts. How are we going to elevate it? Like prior to you getting there, you did a, I was talking to you, you did a Louis Vuitton photo. Hey there, it's Matt Norlander with the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball podcast. And yes, we are in the thick of the college hoop season. Our pod runs at least three times a week and covers everything you need to know from the power conference team to the mid majors, the scoops, the stories, game predictions, previews, huge recaps, everything. We cover it all. To find us, search Eye on College Basketball podcast wherever you get your pods. Shoot. Back in the day, we couldn't even get Lululemon. At, at what level are you, you guys going to push it to, but, you know, also bring the, the ethics and the moral part with it? Like I said, I've said before, like we set the tone for fashion, art, culture, influence just in itself, not just here in America, but also globally. So I think that's all encompassing. Um, here's an example, being here at the sanctuary, uh, being able to have like player technology, almost sports medicine and performance. There's a there's a a want and a demand for athletes to come and touch certain parts of the world, right? Like we have a, a global brand that's continuing to expand as a union, as players, and to be able to control that narrative through our own representation is key. Like as we continue to get more understanding of our own value, mm-hmm. as we continue to fight for licensing, we continue to fight for, you know, the economic rights that we deserve. We also uh, are starting to expand as a, as a union, as players, are coming together collectively, making decisions, group economics, you know, um, all of those things, just continuing the brand. Cause like, I guess the goal, I think one of the goals at least is to be like a self-sufficient union, right? We pay dues every single year. Like every player pays what, 10,000, 12,000. Uh, we just cut it. It was 15. We just cut it 75. And then now we're thinking about even Three. just to, to nothing. I mean, that would be the ultimate goal, but we're about to cut it again. So yeah, we're around, we're going to be at 75. Yeah. So to continue to have these other avenues where we can do business with people in other parts of the world that have an interest in having, you know, players representing technology and wearables and sports medicine and real estate and business investing, whatever the case may be, uh, we want to continue to have, you know, to monetize mm-hmm. off of our own representation, mm-hmm. but also build great relationships all over the world. Mm-hmm. I think to, to Jana's point, like social media has helped a lot with all this. Mm-hmm. I don't even, like us being like us being here, you know, and like I said, the one thing I talked about when I first got here was like the pictures. I saw, I saw, you know, the sanctuary, I saw it and I was like, man, like this would be dope. You know, now it's being able to have these relationships and then not even needing to be in the same place to have these conversations, you know, to be able to be in Boston while somebody's out here talking, having this conversation, be able to expand with somebody's in a different part of the world and you'll be able to talk within 10, 15, you know, minutes, you know what I mean, or seconds, excuse me. You know what I mean? I think that's something that, you know, changes the game as well and that's allowed us to continue to grow. And also guys like ourselves, you know, showing, you know, the younger guys, you know, now we have eight, was it 18, 19 people that are here now, players, 20? I saw 20 players that are here now. Next, you know, maybe maybe we get to 40, you know, and now maybe it's not just, you know, here in Spain, maybe it's somewhere else, but continuing to move, you know, but this is a great place to start because I'm, I'm biased. I love Spain. I'm not going to lie to you, but like, you know, for me, it's like, how do we continue to grow? How can we continue to show, you know, what's here? Because that's ultimately where it starts, you know, and, you know, I, with, with guys like yourself who kind of set the blueprint, you know, we're just following that and expanding on that and building upon it, you know, and the union's done a great job. And also I feel like the players have continuously grown to understand how powerful our union is and what we can do with our union. These two is an example of it. 
Mm. Like they they filming a whole podcast in Spain. Facts. I didn't. Right. Well, for yourself, <laughs> we need to think about it like that. I mean, I, I think it's more, you know, just keeping up with what you guys are doing. Like you're, like you're the next wave. You know, we've seen it all through social media. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, LeBron's about to be in year twenty one. Twenty one. Steph's entering. You know, Steph's about to be thirty six. Yeah. Uh, CP's entering year nineteen. CP's nineteen is one behind me, so he's entering nineteen. Um, Paul George is in like year 13, 14. He's in 14, headed up. Yeah, 14. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I know I'm missing somebody else in there as well. Like Kyrie's. Katie. Katie. Katie's the other one. Um, so they've all saying like these guys have took the torch. Mm-hmm. And you're, you are the next wave. And how do you, so I guess my first question is how do you look at the responsibilities behind holding that torch? So you can take this game to the next level and then pass it off to the next crew and they know exactly how to conduct themselves mm-hmm. to take the torch. Exactly. That's an excellent question. Because I think what taking the torch is, is improving, you know, how athletes are perceived, how we value and how we do business going forward, right? Like a lot of times we are, you know, isolated, you know, we got certain guys that are more monetizable than others, but even looked at as a collective, like what does it mean? for an athlete during his career, during his tenure, from start to finish. A lot of times, once an athlete is done playing, it's like it's just like a fall off a cliff, right? Mm-hmm. You see a lot of them lose predominant amount of their wealth in the first 10 or so years, and then there's not a lot of avenues that are there in place mm-hmm. to make sure that they continue to have revenue streams. So learning about you know what it means to be an athlete is also learning about what our value is, we're also learning about how we can be collectively unified and how we can monetize off our own representation and do business together and make sure that not only are we good throughout our tenure, throughout our playing career, but years and years and years after, we still have um, opportunities to make money. We still have opportunities to have relationships overseas, globally, abroad. Um, like we built this league too that we play in, it was like, so it shouldn't be just such a hard drop off like it is. So a part of carrying a torch is also enlightening and making these athletes aware of what's going on. Because a lot of times there's so many distractions around, you got the agent all around, they're not really telling you why, because they're getting compensation from you, Mm -hmm. right? So why would they steer you Mm -hmm. to something that they're not inclined to get mm-hmm. any payment from. So encouraging the athlete, look, you're not just a basketball player. If anybody tell you yeah. that you only need to focus on basketball, it's probably steering you in the wrong way, right? You're a CEO, you're, a, you're an entrepreneur, you're an activist, you're a venture capitalist, you're a podcast host, you're a movie. You, I hate this, you start laughing. <laughs> but you all of that and more, mm-hmm. right? And you have the ability to make decisions for yourself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and we should continue to encourage more of our athlete friends to do so. Mm-hmm. Actually, um, Don, I want to, um, we spoke before prior to what you do back home in Connecticut. And um, I think it's something that really sets the foundation mm-hmm. of uh, not only changing the game, but preparing people for the quote unquote game. Can you kind of explain people to what you've been doing the past few years and, you know, the big hops and what you made? Yeah. So, you know, I, I grew up in New York, you know, went to private school in Connecticut and, 
I currently live in Connecticut now. And um, one of the things I started doing with my family right after, this is right after I think I signed my extension, you know, when I was in Utah. Um, you know, I created a scholarship with my family, with my mom. Uh, my mom taught there. My sister went to school there. And um, our scholarship was based on sending black and brown kids to school at this private school that I went to, you know, from the city of New York, from Bridgeport, from New Haven, all areas where they may have the grains, but grades, but not the funds to be able to get there, you know, to be able to show them, you know, what I saw growing up, you know, like I told you back there, I said, if I didn't play basketball, I'd be fine. And I can't say that's the same for a lot of people in our communities, you know, so being able to show them, quite frankly, was 35 minutes up the street, <laughs> you know what I mean? And I had to do that to my friends growing up. They, they had no idea Monday through Friday I'm in school, but then Friday through Sunday, I'm in, I'm in the Bronx playing in the tournament. They've never been in the Bronx, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? So being able to kind of do that. So being able to provide a scholarship, I've built the gym, you know, being able to provide that through athletes, through sport, you know, um, black and brown boys and girls, basketball players, um, continuously to build. And obviously this is, I want to say this is my fourth, fourth year doing it, but, you know, continuing just to show and continuing to show them like, you know, there's, while they're playing AU tournaments, there's kids and turning that Goldman Sachs, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Getting a head start yep. to life. You know what I mean? So being able to put them in those spaces at an early age, being able to be comfortable, like Jalen said, like the biggest thing that he talked about was unity. But a lot of times, a lot of us don't really know what that is, don't know, can't really be in those rooms because we just don't know because we haven't known, like we haven't been in those rooms at an early age. And the reason why I was so comfortable, I felt like coming in was because like, quite frankly, because I went to school up there, you know, I was able to see all that. So I'm like, all right, cool. Like I know quote unquote, what the game is. I've seen it since I was nine years old. You know what I'm saying? And I didn't know what I was seeing, but now I do. So now being able to kind of do that, you know, um, through my community and whatnot. So I'm, I'm very happy about it. You know, hopefully one day I get the coach there when I'm done playing, but, you know, being able to, to do that, I think that kind of goes to Jalen's point of teaching the youth, um, even if they don't make the NBA, whatever it may be, whatever your path of life is, like just being able to, you know, understand that you do, you, you can do a lot, like, you know what I mean? You can monetize a lot of what you do. And us as athletes, you know, we have that platform. People watch us, especially as basketball players, I would say probably the most out of any sport. You know, we have that, you know, and hearing it from a, a Donovan Mitchell, a, a Dre Udala, Evan Turner, a Jalen Brown, hearing that, you don't know what that may do for that one kid's life in high school, grade school, college. You don't know what that may do. It may spark something that they never even knew was there. You know what I mean? That, quite frankly, the parents couldn't do that their, their coaches couldn't do, but hearing that from someone they watch on TV every day, emulate their moves, um, it changes your whole perspective on life. So I've been, like I said, it's my fourth year doing it and looking to continue to build and, you know, um, hopefully I coach when I'm done. Yeah, and that's a beautiful thing. And I was, two things I heard. One was um, at a uh, tech conference where it was for African-Americans. And this is one of the larger FinTech specific tech conference that I've been to, and you saw, saw so much wealth there. And it was amazing, just access is the key. Just being able to get in the room. But uh, I was able to you know, hear a, uh, a former CEO, one of the disruptor of the streaming, right? They were at the forefront of that, and, and the former CEO, uh, and he was speaking on education. Mm -hmm. And you know how the Parent Teachers Association is really, is really in the way of proper funding for our public schools. And it's a book called Color of Law. Uh, I live in a library. My wife's just like a million books in there. So the color of law is basically redlining and how the suburbs and you know demographics move to the suburbs. They take their funding with them. 
And so and that's where you start seeing a lot of our public schools not have the proper funding. You look at the uh, Oakland school district right now, it's like they, they almost thought about shutting down the, the sports for the whole district, right? And they had issues with, you know, just feeding the kids as well. That's why Steph, with e-learning play, has been such a blessing. It's just so much more than people even realize. And I'm saying all that to say, I also heard, uh, he spoke on uh, charter schools and, and, and how that's the real model we should be teaching our kids, regardless if it's right or wrong. But, you know, he pointed out that a lot of the issues with our public schools. And then I listened to the All In podcast um, with Shamath, I won't mess up his last name. Uh, he was one of the early investors and uh, I think he was CTO at Facebook. Um, and then there, two or three episodes ago, they spoke on, you know, how do we change the system of our schooling and teach our kids? And so, it's, you know, you have equality across teaching and, you know, everyone has access to proper schooling. And they even took it a step further going back to nurseries. Mm-hmm. Like the nursery is where it's mm-hmm. at. Like, don't wait till they get to kindergarten. Mm-hmm. You want to make sure they know two or three languages before they even start being taught in school. And so just like hearing all these things and it's like these are just things we need to have access to learn about so we can take it back to our communities and that's a part of group economics and I know you what is it as eight figures and, and and you've lost eight figures you know millions upon millions and not taking mm-hmm. shoe deals like you don't have a shoe deal <clears throat> so how do you think about you know one who represents you and then how do you think about the type of deals you have Transaction versus equity, and then I'm actually as well. Yeah, how are you getting so much money you can reject the shoe deal? That's what we want to know. You get chicken and just, buy, and just buying shoes. <laughs> to, to start, the first part where you talked about funding, like in Oakland, like the, the thing is, the funding is there. What, what do you think all our tax dollars go to? It's just especially that, in state, because I pay some of them, <laughs> a lot of. Whew. It's just that Oakland not getting it. You know, it's just certain places that's mm-hmm. not getting it. And like in local politics, you got people um, who are making decisions on your behalf. And if not, if you're not active, if you're not using your voice in those in those policies and those things that are being incorporated, those resources get allocated elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Like the, mm-hmm. the funding is there. It's just that mm-hmm. those decisions on where that funding is going, a lot of times it's paying MF salaries. It's just getting paid X amount of these salaries, but that funding should be going to this Correct. neighborhood, Correct. but until you care about it, right? until somebody else care about it, mm-hmm. and it's going to go under the bridge. And this is part of our, our voting initiative mm-hmm. that we spoke about. Yeah. We're getting everybody to vote. Super important. And on top of that, you know, educational inequalities is something that I've talked about. I've done lectures on Harvard, MIT. I talked about how, you know, public schools, America, you know, how um, it's an idea that, you know, some people got to win and some people got to lose in America and that's filtered through our education system, right? It's just mm-hmm. like, it's not a coincidence where certain people end up in certain places and certain people don't. And it's kind of filtered through our schooling system, through what they teach, the curriculums, through what the government improves. You know, teachers in public schools, they have a, a standard curriculum that they have to teach, like uniform. Mm-hmm. And if they try to teach outside of it, they'll lose their job. Mm-hmm. You know, and a lot of times those curriculums is boring, super dense, Overcomplicated. Three days for African history. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> oh and it's designed to make you feel like, you know, how many people, like, for, especially for the ones watching, if you raise your hand, like, how many people felt like when you was in school, half the stuff you was learning, you wasn't retaining? Yeah. Like, if you ask that question to most people, they'll be like, that was me. Yeah. Right? Then, you know, what, what messed me up, what was crazy, was like, how many people know that that's by design? Right, is that 
certain people are going to be the next legislators and as political leaders, government officials, they want them to reach a certain amount of wealth. And then certain people, they got to fill, you know, our vocalization jobs or our prison industrial complex. So it's like a funneling system. And it starts from as soon as standardized testing starts, starts kindergarten, pre-K, nursery. And that's how the system is set up. So when I got wind of that, like, when I started learning about hegemonic racism and stuff like that, hegemony, and I started to realize that, you know, bigotry is not defined by, like, it is by, like, confrontational stuff. Like, if I'm walking down the street, you don't like how I look, you don't like how I walk, you don't like how I talk. Like, I can care less what you think about me. But, like, let my kids go to school. I don't got no kids. But let... You know, let, let us get resources. Let me, let me get a loan for a house. Let me be able to have an equal um, due process when I apply for a job. Mm-hmm. Like, these are the things that affect someone's social mobility and their ability to maneuver and to, to, to grow within a system. But this is like, these are the hegemonies that people face behind closed doors because you can't see it, you think it don't exist. Right. But, you know, everybody feel it. Everybody feel it. Everybody knows. It's, it's old now. I'm, I'm talking to 12-year-olds. They, they feel it. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I, I want to stay on there with the shoes. Um, oh, I just saw your new shoe. Thank you. So, congrats. You're in H2, right? Five. Five. It, it's still 71? It's still $71? Or no? No. Yeah. That was just a special question. His shoes cost, shoes cost a lot now. Right. No, no, but they had a seventy-one dollar <laughs> joint after yeah, scored the seventy-one. Oh yeah, I, I almost bought them for that. Yeah, for that, appreciate it. Like yeah, y'all go cop them new Dons, man. I'm a fan. Like I don't. It's just really hard to uh, for me to like a basketball shoe, but they got your fifth one right. It's yeah, really cool. I appreciate but it. I want to. <laughs> I really want to. I'm happy about the fourth, the third. <laughs> you heard them right. I mean, I got some of my best friend's shoes. I can't. I, I'm not wearing those. I was just saying. They're, they're like, <laughs> and I know some. Of my te- I know some. I shouldn't say teammates. Former, current. I got some teammates or current, cur- former teammates. Seth Curry twos with some shit. I didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know, Paul George had a shoe that sold really well, mm-hmm. and you saw there was. The commitment, mm-hmm. just the water got turned off. Like he doesn't have a shoe anymore. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. now he's just gonna wear Kobe's, you know. Mm-hmm. So right. And so I brought to bring this up because for you, mm-hmm. I know your situation is different. I'm gonna ask you about it, but for you, you know, what are you looking for in the partner? Because sneaker, our sneaker deal is the largest deal for an athlete in basketball, at least. And you know, for you to have five shoes is a really big deal. And I hope you know that. Like that's a huge accomplishment. That's why I, you know I want everybody to clap. So. Mm-hmm. You know, what are you looking for in, 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 in the company that you're partnering with and what is that process like? Um, you know, the first and foremost for me, you know, you, you joked about it, but I made sure that my price standpoint stayed the same. You know, it went up $10, but like mm-hmm. I stayed at $100 because I want every kid. And like I said, I went to a private school, you know, I went to public school for maybe three or four years. And one of the things I, I could speak on was everybody having bronze, Kobe's, and having different colors. You know what I mean? Being able to say, I got the Grinches, I got this, I got that. So for my shoe, I was like, look, I wanted to be affordable. I wanted to every kid to be able to get 10 different colorways if they wanted to. Mm-hmm. That was my thing, being able to give back just for the youth. I don't care about kids our age. I don't, I'm not worried about that. Like, you know what I'm saying? The youth is where, where, like, for me, that's where I really, you know, like, focus a lot of my time. And the brand, when we worked with Adidas, that was the biggest, that was, that was where they were trying to head to. So it worked out perfectly at that time. And, you know, I appreciate them because... I had a, I don't, people don't notice, I had a deal that was four years long, my rookie year. After my rookie year, they changed it. They ripped it up and said, we're going to renegotiate. They came to me and said that. I didn't know, quite frankly, I didn't know nothing about 
what they were talking about at the time, and I had to have somebody come in and explain to me, all right, like, this is a, it's dope, it doesn't really happen. So I'm like, all right, cool, you know what I mean? So being able to do that with the shoe, and then for me, I wanted to just be near and dear to me. You know, I wanted to be, like I said, my values are about giving back to kids, the school situation, um, you know, and that's all I care about. You know, monetary, it's great, I'm very appreciative, they do a lot with my charity, but all in all, like, I don't care if I'm the highest selling. I want to be able to give back to kids and make sure they're able to just to wear basketball shoes. Mm -hmm. And like you said, as we've gotten better, I've become more involved with the process. I love how my shoes feel, love how my shoes look. Um, you know, and I think for me, that was one of my biggest visions was just being able to make sure kids just have basketball shoes to wear. And, you know, when I have my camps, I go different places. I go to China, I go different places. I'm able to see kids wearing my shoes and I never, it doesn't get old for me. You know what I mean, and with my with my brand and Adidas, and you know we've we've worked hard at trying to find ways to not only give back but also make sure the room that I speak in looks like there are people that look like me in there. Right. And you know that's not always the case at these companies. And you know I made sure I spoke on that. You know, and I made sure that I was able to to give my voice, and they heard it. And I have I think there's five. Uh, five of us on the team, four of us on the team. You know what I mean? Just on my shoe alone. Nice. You know what I mean? And we've we've continued, and I've some have left, some have stayed, and continue to 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 go on to greener pastures and bigger things. I'm not going to say that's all because of because of me. They've they're talented and done their work as well. Um, but that was one of my biggest things. Is like I said, stick to what my values. You know what I mean? Not like Jalen, like Jalen said, like not changing who I was. And Jalen, you don't have a shoe deal, and you've given up millions upon millions. Um, but we're starting to see, like, I invested in Allbirds early on, um, and then mm. now we're seeing On, the new shoe company, On, who's doing great things with Roger Federer. Um, and so we're starting to see a lot of sneaker disruptors out there. Uh, and so for you, you know, why haven't you signed a deal and, and, you know, what's on your mind there? I think I'm more inclined to following that sneaker disruptor kind of path. A lot of the, the deals that, you know, kind of athletes get signed are kind of like stationary. It's like, here it is, cut and dry, no creative control, no control over your marketing, but no input, actually. Not even full, don't, don't even mention creative control, don't, no, no real input, you know, to be honest. And the budget, the marketing budget, how you're being branded, the campaign ideas, a lot of that stuff is developed for you. And being, wanting to be able to have representation, control, and say so, and how your narrative is being projected, it's not something like major companies are, are really trying to do. And then also just how a lot of these things end with players. I think a lot of times some players have great deals and they should take advantage and monetize as much as they possibly can. Like I'm proud of my brother, he got five sneakers, that's nothing. There's no sort of that. But then how it ends, right? Once you get to the end of those deals where maybe your influence has dropped and they're looking at the new one, how do they treat you on the way out? Correct. Like mm. I didn't have conversations with Tracy McGrady, with T-Mac who's no longer with Adidas, who had one of the you know best-selling Adidas shoes of all time. One of the first low tops. Hmm? It's, it's one of the first low top shoes too. Right, yeah. and like, you know, the drop off of how they treat you when they're done with you is an issue for me. But I think this is an amazing conversation and uh, hopefully we didn't go dive too deep, but I think it's just, we want folks to understand who we are as athletes. We really care about our brands. We are really precious about uh, not just our individual brands, but the brand of the union and the NBA, because we are partners with the NBA and we want to make sure that the players get all the information and how truly valuable it is for us to have reverence for the game, a passion for the business, 
Um, you know, we've, we've, we've seen it all, you know, from the ups to downs, you know, folks trying to partner with us to use us to raise their uh, a level of uh, notoriety. And, um, you know, we have, to, we have to hold ourselves accountable, but we have to also see these things uh, coming to light when they do and, you know, nipping them in the bud. So with that being said, I really want to truly thank you two gentlemen uh, as, the, as the, the current and future faces of the NBA. Um, the game feels like we're in a really good place. Um, and I just really want to thank you for your time and joining the pod. And thank you. Without a ball, it's just a court. And without your spirit, it's only a game. So together with the fans, we bring our best. For your next pregame, let's share a twist on a classic, the Hennessy Margarita. A squeeze of fresh lime juice and a bit of agave syrup, topped off with ice and a salted rim. Mix it, shake it, pour it, and enjoy the spirit of the NBA. Hennessy, without your spirit, it's only a game. 21 and older, please drink responsibly. <laughs> 